Hi, this is Coach MJ. We're back on the real Mission Impossible show. Today we have a combat veteran who has been decorated for his outstanding merited service. Today he's a speaker, he's a coach, he's a mentor, he is a leadership guru and runs an organization he will talk to us about today. Moreover, as a veteran, I thank him for his service. Joseph Polanin, thank you for coming on the show. Welcome, sir. Coach, thanks so much. It's my absolute honor and privilege to be here. Thanks very much for that kind uh, introduction. Well, sir, there's nothing nothing but a few words can in no way uh, represent how you served our country and what you've done, what sacrifices you've made for the country and for your own family. And today, with the resilience that you have, irrespective of what you endured and what you went through, you found a way to be a basketball you found a way to bounce back and help others do the same through the training and the disciplines that you teach and share with organizations today to help them win, not just more customers, but the internal customers that they need to have as leadership develop skills that be able to help them navigate the unknown ahead. So thank you so much for that. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got into leadership as a topic? Yeah, Coach, absolutely. And first and foremost, uh, thank you uh, for, for mentioning all of our brave uh, and, and courageous service members, veterans, and their families. Uh, they, they, are, they are our heroes. You know, when I served in the military, um, for me, it, it was never a job. It was never even a profession. It was a calling. It, it was simply a feeling inside that I knew I was where I was meant to be, and I was with the people that I was meant to serve with. And I was privileged to learn from many, many great people over my time uh, in the Navy. Uh, and so how I got to where I am today and what I'm doing today, I served 30 years in the Navy. My profession was explosive ordnance disposal. That's the bomb squad. And I had the opportunity to learn from and be mentored by and, and be coached and, and, and inspired by some absolutely phenomenal people who themselves taught me the principles of selflessness, teamwork, courage, trust, and, and what those words mean, and that they are not words, they, they are an ethos by which we live our lives, not just serving in our professions. So probably 20 of the 30 years that I served uh, in the military coach were in positions of command authority. Uh, or in command, analogous to being a CEO or COO. Sometimes it was a small team. Sometimes it was a few hundred people operating in 10, 12 countries. Other times it was globally networked enterprises uh, with tens of thousands of, of people. And from those experiences, I derived two fundamental truths. Number one, the value of a team. That a team will always accomplish more together than any individual can alone. And number two, when you have a high performance team, a team that is comprised of very successful people, multiple disciplines, and you bring them together for a very powerful cause, perhaps a movement, perhaps a transformation, a reorganization, uh, a bold goal, in, in very complex circumstances, sometimes very often with high threat and, and high risk uh, consequences of failure. How do you inspire that team and elevate that team? to exceed their own perceived expectations, which are probably already pretty high. 
I've been blessed and privileged to work with such teams and learn from such individuals through a number of transformative uh, circumstances, as well as, as leading some reorganizations within the military and out. And from those, I derived three pillars, and that's what brought me to where I am today. Um, I learned that a, a, an organization must have three fundamental pillars to be successful. Number one, a vision for the future, a bold, well-articulated goal that people can get behind and they can rally around. Number two, they have to have a plan to make it happen. Strategy, whatever you want to call it, they have to have a plan of action. And that plan has to be clear and simple. And people have to read it and they have to go, I get it. I understand what I'm supposed to do and why I'm supposed to do it. And then number three, the third pillar is people. My experience, coach, people don't get excited about things they don't understand. But once they understand it, once they know that they're valued, respected, trusted, and, and that their leader has their back in good times and bad, in chaos and in calm, in crisis and in turbulence, when they know that, they will move mountains towards the goal. Organizations that have those, those three things uh, are rare in their existence, but they can accomplish fantastic things. And so when I got out of the military, I fashioned the proprietary consultative methodology based around those three pillars. And that's what I do. If a company or an organization or a team is doing some of those things well, I help them accelerate that. If they're not, I educate them on the importance of those pillars, then help them develop the processes and structures to implement and then accelerate. And again, for me, it's not work. I enjoy it. I love it. It's helping people. I continue to serve. I'm just doing it in a different direction. And you know it works. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I really love the part, the people part that you just went through, and particularly the trust factor, that having the trust of your teammates, the trust of your leader, when that happens, I mean, I think that's one of the things that they talk about the Navy SEALs, that, you know, there's... You know, there might be a guy who may be stronger, faster, bigger, better, but if they don't trust him, he's he's useless on a team. But the team really needs to have that cohesiveness, that trust with their leader and with each other. Is that correct? 100%. And, and trust, as you know, is built over time. Uh, mutual respect, confidence, uh, cohesion, the, these are some of the building blocks uh, of trust. And once trust is there and you, we're, we're working on a team and I know you have my back and I can put my life in your hands and you know I have your back and I can do the same, uh, that is irreplaceable. I, I, I'm fond of, of saying that the things that count the most on a team are the things that you can't hold in your hand. Trust the, the the greatest the greatest one. People often ask me, well, how how do you how do you build trust? How do you establish trust? Uh, number one, people have to know you care about them. You can't talk about it. You can't write about it. You have to demonstrate it through your actions. People have to know that whoever their leader is cares about them. Number two, you have to have empathy. And, and you have to demonstrate that. You have, you have to show people that you will listen and you will learn and you will go through whatever their challenges are with them. And you, you feel that deeply. And that's not something 
that you can that you can write down. That's not something that you can put into a, a, a chat box. That is real feeling, real emotion. It's got to be genuine. It's got to be sincere. Then you have to empower them. You have to delegate, right? I, delegation is not abdication. You have to teach people what the high standards are. Then you have to delegate to them. And it's a lot like teaching your children to ride a bike. At some point, you've done the best you can and the training wheels come off and they must forge forward on their own. It's a lot like that routine. And, and through that empowerment and through that delegation, as I mentioned earlier, everyone on the team then begins to know they are valued, they are respected, they are empowered, they are listened to, they never fear bringing up a problem. You know, a lot, a lot of times people, oh, I don't, I don't want to bring up a problem. I don't want to get in trouble for bringing up a problem. The best teams that I know, people love to bring up problems and they love to point out when other people have, have a, an error and, and it's not, it's not a, a, a comedic thing. It's a necessary thing and it's okay. And you have to have humility and you have to be self-aware to do that and understand that you're going to make a mistake, whether you're a team member or the team leader. Right? And the best leaders I've ever known learn how to follow first, and then they learn how to lead. So those components are key. And then right after the empowerment and the value and the delegation, in my opinion, comes, tr comes trust. All of those building blocks that I just mentioned generate trust, and that takes time. We like to say you can't surge trust. You can't wait until there's a a chaotic situation or a crisis or a problem where you need to have a relationship with someone based on trust and then and then go forward. You have to already have that relationship. The way you do it is by excellence in those principles every day with your team. That's amazing. I, just listening to that, it made me really feel like, you know, you're you're the right person to help organizations today get into that. And then another thought popped into my head, even though trust does take time, it's the hardest thing to earn and the easiest thing to lose. Uh, there also has to be situational battlefield trust. In other words, something happens in the organization, something happens, it could be a good thing or, or a critical thing that happens, but, but leadership has to like emerge from that and bring a team together with a, a new mission and it has to be instantaneous. And maybe that leader doesn't have time to earn that trust. So I've just kind of switched on my head thinking there's got to be battlefield situational trust. But something does happen. And just because of the the ethics of the of the team that they already have, a work ethic, and they already have a mutual respect for each other, um, there has to be situations like that where you don't have time. You just have to blindly trust to make sure that we have, we're all focused on a mission. Have you had that experience before? Um, I, I have, and and it it's it. There will. I'm going to frame it this way, Coach. Uncomfortable is the new comfortable, right? Chaos is good. Stress is good. Crisis is good. Why is that? Because it's, it's what you just talked about, that, that concept of a, a, a battlefield situational, we have a crisis, we have a problem, we're putting together a very specialized team 
to go after that problem and they will not stop until they find a way or make one to solve it. When that happens, very often those teams are comprised of individuals who have worked together before. Um, if you're in a small company, uh, it, it, it may be that, that uh, you're, you're responding with a, with a team of people that you work with regularly. If you're in a larger company, perhaps an enterprise or, or a global uh, organization, uh, it, 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 may be, it may be people that you've never worked with before. But what unites them and what helps build that trust quickly is the very laser-focused objective. It's we must solve this problem, we must succeed in this mission, and we don't have time for egos, and we don't have time for uh, confidence checks, and we don't have time for any of that. And what, will, what I have seen happen on the best teams that succeed in that, uh, it, it, another factor that uh, I am passionate about, and that's what I call quiet professionalism. Some call it humility. Um, you, can, you can refer to it in many different categories, but it's the kind of person who subjugates themselves to the needs of the team and the needs of the organization and says, I'm going to do what's right the first time, every time, all the time. I'm going to get the mission done with my team. And I, I really don't care who gets the credit. And, and in fact, the leader of the team will not be satisfied until members of the team are, are recognized for what they have contributed and what they have done, but will take a backseat to that and will say, I'm not interested in the credit. What, what's, what's fascinating and what we must do is to accomplish the mission. And so what I have seen, the, the types of teams that you describe in these circumstances of uh, battlefield chaos or, or the, the fog of war, as, uh, as we, we refer to it, um, great leaders emerge from that, sometimes from the most uh, unsuspecting places. And I've had the great privilege to work with some teams like that. And, and I'd say it, it's exactly what, what I mentioned earlier, that notion, that ethos of quiet professionalism and it, what, what matters is accomplishing the mission. That's a galvanizing force. Yes. And that builds trust quickly. Yes, 100%. It made me think of something that Ronald Reagan alluded to when he was talking about asking Gorbachev to tear down the wall. He, he kind of said, you know, I'll paraphrase his words. He said something like, if we as, a, as humankind were threatened by something external, uh, we would all come together under a common banner and we would find a way to solve that. And there wasn't any room for egos in that scenario. It was about teamwork and it was about being galvanized and mission focused. So, so that, that, that's just the takeaway that I got from you there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And, and it, it reminds me of, a, of another, of another phrase that, that's as you, as you were saying that, 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 the things that unite a team will always be more important than the things that may divide it. And that, that's another essence of team building. Um, the best teams that I have served on actually argue about a lot. They actually have differences of opinion all the time. And people are bringing up new ideas and sometimes other people are shooting them down. And that debate and that dialogue 
makes the final outcome stronger. Uh, if, if I'm working with a team and everything's unanimous all the time, I, I start to ask, I start to ask questions. Somebody's unnecessary. That's right. That's right. That's right. That, 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 that debate and the dialogue and, and sometimes the argument is extremely healthy and it, it helps teams achieve more and, and actually exceed expectations. When I talked earlier about how do you make a, a high performance team exceed expectations, bring in people with different opinions and diverse backgrounds and different viewpoints and, and make sure that they are tops in their field and let them get after it. I think it was, uh, was it Einstein that said if he was trying to solve a problem, he'd spend uh, 50, 50 minutes thinking about how to solve it and then the other 10 actually solving it if he had an hour. You know, it, it, it's the same kind of thing with teams. Let, let, them, let them get after it. And that's sometimes where it's very important for a leader to know enough to step out of the way. You've assembled this great team. Give them intent. Give them the guidance. Make sure it's clear. Delegate authority appropriately. And, and then have the wisdom to step out of the way and let that team run. I was uh, fortunate to be on a panel recently, and, and the topic came up about working with all-stars. Hmm. So you, you, as a leadership coach, you, you go into a locker room. Uh, there's all these all-stars. They're all prima donnas. They're all you know, super high scores, whatever game they're playing, whether it's commercial or sports. And how do you then bring those together? Because every, all those players are not necessarily team players. They're I, I, I. You know, if, if it weren't for me, we would never get anywhere because it's all about me, 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 me. How would you, uh, how would you tackle an assignment like that to try to bring these people down to earth and work together? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, and I would allude to a theme that you addressed just a few minutes ago. And I have lived for many years by a, an approach uh, that goes something like this. Number one, I'm not the smartest person on my team. Number two, if I had something important to tell you, I would have already told you. And number three, the only problem I can't solve is the one I don't know about. And, and I, would, I would modify that just slightly for this team and, and say, it, it's all about support. It's all about mutual benefit. So number one, everybody brings their own extensive skill set and their own set of experience and expertise. And, and nobody can be the best at everything, but everyone can be the best at something. So let's talk about what everyone's individual strengths are and then how do we maximize that for the collective, right? So it, I'm not, not the smartest person on my team. I'm not the best. I'm not the strongest. I'm not the fastest. There's always somebody who's better than me at something. Let's find out who that is and let's make sure that we optimize that and synchronize that for the team. Number two, uh, the, the concept of uh, communication. If I had something important to tell you, I would have already told you. Encourage that team. Don't wait around. If there's something important that you need to share with a fellow teammate, do it right now. Don't hold back. 
And then number three, the, the, the essence of, of problem solving, that team, however great it is, they're going to be in a challenging situation. There's going to be in an uphill battle. They're going to be in a chaotic uh, or perhaps um, crisis situation that maybe even in their broad collective expertise, they haven't handled before. Encouraging that, that notion of support uh, to, to say, hey, uh, be humble. And I'm facing individually a problem that I'm unable to solve. Let me share that with my teammate so that we can work on it together. And, and I might just find out um, that, that they have a way to help me that I, I hadn't thought of before. Those are the three approaches that I would use um, because f- for me, that's what generates the collective action. Right? As I mentioned earlier, what a team will accomplish together. Well, when you put a team of all-stars together, look at what they have the potential to accomplish if harnessed and focused in the right way. Right. And that's where exactly what you just said. That's where leadership comes in uh, to help them harness that themselves. Because, you know, you have, and by the way, what an excellent job you just did. I dropped you in from a parachute into a locker room in, in halftime when the team wasn't doing the score wasn't going very well. You had all these high scores. They're all keeping the ball for themselves because they don't trust the next guy and only they can make the shot and they're tripping over each other. And so to have a leader be able to come in and break it down and your key word there is communication. uh, And that really can solve so many issues and problems. I want to turn the page if I can, just for a moment to help our listeners and our YouTube audience understand the dynamics of military leadership versus leading in a civilian world. Uh, you know, being a veteran myself, I was, uh, you know, taught, you know, it was rank and file. And, you know, when you get out of the military, um, you know, nobody cares what your rank was. They only care about your attitude. So how how do you balance it? How do you see it? What's your takeaway on that? Yeah, it, it's, that's a great that's a great question, Coach. And I my takeaway is that there there really isn't too much difference between a successful leader who happens to be in the military and a successful leader who happens to be in the private sector or, or an entrepreneur or in a corporation or in an enterprise. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, there are there's a set of individual characteristics that make a leader great. What I've found uh, is that that is not unique to the military. It is, these are, these are qualities and these are characteristics that have to do with how people lead their lives, what their core values are, what their morals and ethical compass is, and, and who they are as people. If an individual is genuine, if they care about others, if they have a mindset where they constantly want to, to learn new things, be curious, um, and, and have an opportunity to, to ask a lot of questions, they have the opportunity to, to be a great leader. Whereas someone who does not have those qualities or, or someone who uh, is, is satisfied with uh, the status quo uh, or with mediocrity um, may be able to grow into becoming a better leader. Uh, but as a good friend of mine likes to say, you can't teach people to be curious. You can teach people new skills, 
You can teach people new capabilities. Uh, they can get advanced degrees. You can't teach someone to care. You can't teach someone to be curious. And, and these qualities are required of a leader. They're not unique to the military. But I, I would I would frame that the discussion as you as you asked about the the transition from uh, from military uh, to to civilian leadership. Um, if you care, if you empower people, if you if you if you are interested in thinking about it this way, wherever you are, whatever sector you're in, whatever industry you're in, whatever position you're in, whatever rank. Uh, whatever your responsibility is, imagine the best leader that you ever know. Think of whoever that is for you. Who's the best leader you ever knew? Now, when you get up in the morning, are you inspired and are you motivated to develop leaders who are better than that standard? Then, then Then you're a leader and you're selfless and you're motivated and you care. And that's how we move leadership forward. The, 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 the problems that we're going to face individually and collectively 20 years from now are not going to be solved by the same types of leaders that we have today. It's our duty and it's our charge to build better leaders than the best we ever knew. So I've seen that translate extremely well. Uh, I've seen people very successful at that in the military. I've seen people very successful at in the private sector. And the commonality is who you are as a person, what's your character, what you, what's your moral compass and your ethical compass? Are you genuine? Are you authentic? And that comes through in every industry and in every sector. And those are the people others want to be inspired by. In my in my just golden words, golden words. We're talking to Joseph Bolin, and we have a few minutes left to talk to him about his experiences as a leadership trainer, coach in organizations today, what are companies lacking and what do they need the most today? Yeah, that is a very precise focus, Coach. And I, I will tell you, in my view, it's the synergy and the alignment between their vision for their company or their team their plan to make it happen, and the extent to which they inspire their teammates. I have seen this as a very prevalent and systemic disconnect. Uh, I've worked in over 75 uh, companies across 15 industries and sectors, and I've studied about another 150 companies. And what I have found is that this is the, the key that most companies experience at some point. Uh, the alignment between their vision, their plan, and their people. They could have a bold vision. Maybe it's not communicated that well. Maybe people don't understand it because it's, it's not shared well. Whatever the, whatever the reason, let's suppose there is a bold vision and it's shared well, but there isn't a clear and simple plan of action that people can read, that they can get behind, that they can understand. Right? A vision without a plan will never occur. It won't happen. And then you could have the best vision in the world that's bold and bright and people love it. And you could have a fantastic plan that's clear and simple. If your talented people are not inspired, and we talked about the team dynamics earlier, if they don't know that you care about them, 
if they don't feel that they're empowered and valued and trusted, and they're not really sure how what they do every day matters, then, then that plan won't, won't happen and the vision will not, will not be attained. However, when all those three things are, are firing and, and there's, a, there's a catalyst and, and there's a synchronization and an integration for that, uh, that is very rare in its occurrence. It's special. And people gravitate toward that. And they want to be around an organization and a team that has a bold vision, a plan to make it happen, and people who care about them and inspire them. And in my, my view and in my experience, uh, both as a practitioner and, and academically, um, this is the, the most prevalent and systemic disconnect uh, in, in business today. Yeah, because they have all three. I agree with you. They have all three is a perfect cocktail. And I can speak for myself. I, you know, as an entrepreneur, I started several organizations and there was always something that was missing there. I, I might have had a vision. And so I was focused on the technical aspects of executing that vision and maybe not as much as the people. So I might not have had, and a lot of leaders today, when they do a startup, they might not have the skills of empathy. They might not, they might have a fearful view of listening because they have their vision and they don't want it to be distorted, uh, diluted, or corrupted by any anybody else's feedback. And that's that's something that startup leaders share. It's not unusual. Uh, very rarely do they come in and say, okay, let's have a huddle. Uh, that's my idea. What's yours? No, no, no. That, that doesn't work that way. And private <laughs> equity kind of worry about a leader that's not really sure about what their vision is. So I know that there's two things that I I like to, to latch on to and just tag on to what you said. Yeah. Is that when it comes to vision, um, I, I like to think that you being a, a, a former Navy captain, when it comes to vision, a leader should be able to sell tickets on his boat. So he's got a place we want to go to. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Who wants to buy a ticket? Oh, sign me up. I want to be on that voyage I'm in. So that's a good one. But then how does that leader treat others? Well, you only find out in the in the Coach MJ barbecue test. The barbecue test is they're all at the barbecue. You're not invited, and they're talking about you. And so do they have real trust for you? Is it just like to your face? Um, do they believe in your vision or is that just, you know, smoke on the water? So pretty soon you find out that very often leadership, great, great leadership is best defined when you're not there so that people can understand what, what it is that the, the bigger reason about why they're buying into the vision in the first place and you. Yeah, it, that, that, I, I love the barbecue test, Coach, because that is a principle that, um, not only do, do we operate under in the military, but uh, I've seen it in, in the private sector frequently as well. How does the team and the organization perform when the senior leader is not around? Because the senior leader is wh whoever that is, president, founder, CEO, owner, partner. That senior leader has set the tone. They've set the standards. They've set the expectations. Um, and, and, and that... That's what true delegation is. True delegation isn't, as I mentioned earlier, it's not abdication. It's teaching people 
the right way to do things. It's teaching people the high standards and the expectations. We, we refer to it often as commander's intent. Do people on the team know the big picture, why they're doing what they're doing, and how what they're doing matters, and it's aligned with your way of thinking as the senior leader? If they get that, you take off for two weeks, and the company's running just fine. And that's, in my experience, the best organizations, it isn't about the presence or the absence of the senior leader. It's about how well that leader has been able to communicate the vision, the mission, and the guiding principles. That's the foundation. I'll share with you a quick story. I was having a conversation uh, with, a, with a founder of a company about three years ago, and we were having a conversation about the importance of this. Having a bold vision having a plan to make it happen and inspiring people. And they said to me, wow, that's outstanding. And that's exactly what I need. The only problem is I don't have time for anything extra right now. I have to focus all my people on making money. And I, and I paused and I reflected for a minute. And, and my response was, uh, this is not something extra. This is who you are. This is why you do what you do. And this is how your people will be inspired. I, I call it the illusion of profit. A company might be making some money right now. And because they're making some money right now, they think that what everyone needs to focus on, including the senior leaders of the organization, is tactical execution, tactical implementation, and dollars and cents. And in reality, that's not what they need to be focused on. And in fact, they need to be focused on 90% of other things. And my, my response was very simply that that might work for a little while. But after a while, people are going to run out of steam and they're going to want to be inspired. And they want, they're going to want to be part of a movement, a cause, a vision, something powerful that's going to be creating impact for others and changing people's lives. And that is the vision of the organization. Uh, the vision of the organization cannot be ARR. And this is something that's very important, near and dear to my heart. And um, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to roll through that. Well, what a tremendous knowledge, uh, base of knowledge that you have, what you bring to the table. I'd be very lucky to have you all here on the show with us today and it'd be a great uh, way for us to recommend your services. We'll be putting up on the show notes, your extensive bio, as well as how companies can reach out to you. That'll be on there, but you, could you just uh, give us your website uh, verbally now so that anyone who's just listening can get that and they find a way to get in touch with you today. Sure. Absolutely. The, the website is the group.com. T-H-E-A-L-A-K-A-I group.com. Uh, Alakai is a word in Hawaiian. My daughter's actually picked out the name. Uh, it, it's, it means great leadership, but it's a lot more like a spirit, a culture, or a lifestyle than it is a skill or capability. Uh, someone who is an Alakai, uh, it's some, certainly someone who's a great leader, but, but more importantly, someone who has empathy and compassion and, and care and, and generosity of spirit. Uh, and this combination, as I mentioned earlier, is what, what we focus on. So uh, it's the alakai group.com. 
And please feel free to reach out to us at any time. Alakaigroup.com. You know, when you were explaining that, I had a vision of a white eagle with blue eyes. That leadership excellence again. Thank you so much, Joseph Polanin. And thank you again for your leadership, for your service to our country, and for all that you do, sir. God bless. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate it. It's my honor.